Well, hi everybody. That's um, very encouraging of you. Thank you so much for your welcome. And um, great to see you here. Today is the last but one of our series on prayer, which is running alongside our prayer season. And uh, so we, again, would encourage you to be there on Wednesday night. They've been really most powerful evenings, most powerful evenings. Well, we're speaking on persevering in prayer. And so we're going to turn to James chapter 5. And we're going to read from uh, 7 to 18. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It comes up on the screen for you. We are so kind to you. Uh, If you do have a Bible... Do you know what? It's always good to know your way around it. So no shortcuts, just check it in there, have a look, and, um, and it just helps you know your Bible. That's the important thing. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too. Be patient. Stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another. Brothers and sisters. Or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophet's. Who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. And have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all my brothers and sisters do not swear. Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise you'll be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. And anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned they will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Uh, Hans Kung is a, is a, was a Christian author, a theologian, and apparently he wrote a 700-page book on Christianity without a 700-page book without even a chapter on prayer. In fact, even a reference on prayer, as I am led to believe. James never meant that to happen. So I hope you got the point. He never meant that to happen. Jesus must have been inundated 
with people and opportunities. And yet a, a brief walk through the Gospels will tell you that he prioritized prayer. All the programs that we are involved with in our community here in High Wycombe. Listen, if they are without prayer, that's all they are. Programs. You get that, please. I mean, I'm grateful for all the social action that goes on in the church. And, and, but social action is temporary. I'm not saying it isn't important. Don't get, don't get me wrong. But the gospel, my friends, is eternal. So we, we can be good at children's work and youth work and mothers and toddlers and, and Christians Against Poverty and Wickham Homeless Connection. And, and, and there's a whole list that the church is involved with. I've got time to go through the whole list. But without prayer, they're just projects, programs. That's it. It doesn't matter how good we are at them. Prayer has to be at the heart of matters because we are talking about eternal matters and people's lives and not temporary. Now in this passage, you can... You can see that prayer is a thread that runs throughout the whole of the church life. Anyone in trouble? Pray. Anyone happy? Praise. But it's still prayer. Messed up? Pray. Sick? Pray. Sin? Pray. Confess your faults to each other? Pray. Whatever is happening, James tells them, you must pray. You must pray. Now you'll notice that James' encouragement to pray is after he's spoken about patience. So it's patience. He's talking about patience. The Greek word is magrathomia. You think, wow, that's impressive. Is that right, darling? Magrathomia, like that. My my Greek Cypriot wife here. It it means long-suffering. That's what it means. It means long-suffering. So in this context here, he's not talking about queuing up at a checkout and seeing if which queue is the longest and I need a bit of patience here. No, it's a whole life thing. It involves long-suffering. It's part and parcel of their very lives. These Christians are displaced people. They're, they are fleeing from persecution. They are finding a company of God's people somewhere and becoming a part of it. At the beginning of this letter, James says that they face trials of many kinds. So there's religious oppression, there's Roman persecution, social suspicion, economic hardship. I tell you, it's all there. You know, to be a follower of Jesus Christ was not a great career move. You did not do it for a career move. You wouldn't. This is the everyday life of the church. Everyday life, everyday abuse. This is the early church. Verse 7. Be patient, brothers and sisters. You can't separate your prayer life from everyday life. It's an important expression of how you live life. That's why he talks about patience before he talks about prayer. It's important how you live life. You know, prayer is how we started our Christian journey. We all did it. We all started our Christian journey and prayed. The way in is the way on. So we're going to look at two aspects here. What patience is 
And how has it developed? Now let me just say this, please. Our culture is distinctly unhelpful for its ability to produce patience. That's no excuse, by the way. I'm just telling you. All right? I want to sh- just highlight. It's, it's, it is very unhelpful. This week I wanted a book. I wanted a book this week. I didn't want the book next week. I wanted the book this week. I could have downloaded it in seconds on my Kindle. I could have had, but I wanted it there as a resource for others who were, uh, for other teachers. So I wanted it. So I, I asked that I get this book and I get it this week. Didn't arrive. Now here's the thing. We live in a consumer culture. You know, if company A, you write, you say you rent out company A or you, and you want them to bring your book this week, and they don't. But company B, not only bring your book this week, they do it tomorrow, even today. If company A carries on like that, they're going to go out of business, and company B who's producing your books whenever you like, they're going to flourish. That's the consumer culture in which we live. That's how we live. It doesn't help patients. And then there's social media, which appears to encourage reaction rather than reflection. So the things that people post on Facebook, Twitter, I mean, they're just prime examples of this. Let me just say this, church. You think before you post. Just think, because once it's out there, it's out there. So think. I can't believe some of the stuff that goes out on Facebook, Twitter, and the like. It's unbelievable. I can't even put up on the screen some of the things that people say. I can't do it. It's um, Nicola Wade was looking at this for me, and she said, do you know, it's just too rude. You can't put some of the things to people. It's just too rude. So we prayed for her mind because she's had a look at some of these things. And, uh, but, um, but here is one. So we give you one, okay? This is Domino Pizzas. And um, here it goes. Yo, I ordered a pizza and came with no toppings on it or anything. It's just bread. Domino's Pizza, I think you're ahead of me here. We're sorry to hear about this. Please let our friends at Domino's know. See what they can do to help. Never mind. I hope the pizza are upside down. Wow. (laughs) Now the question is this. How quick was that first one fired off? How quick? Uh, I tell you that's I'm doing the humorous but there are some stuff that goes out there that's just obnoxious it's rude why would you say things like that Christians sometimes Christians put out things you shouldn't do it. You need to think. You need to think what you post. If you belong to Jesus, you need to think what you post. I'm really serious about that. Your emails are fired off. Emails are fired off more rather than thought through. 
You see, our instant culture reduces inclination to cool off. It reduces that. You know, if you have to write a letter, you've got to find the paper. You've got to find the pen. You've got to know who you're going to write to. What's more, it's got to have an address. So you're going to be bothered to write an address. Then you've got to get an envelope and a stamp. And in the end, you've got to post it. But in the meantime, you've got to write this letter. And as you write this letter, it just gives you time to think things through. And often you write the letter and you go, that won't do. Put it in the bin and start again. It gives you time to cool off. We don't do that anymore. Uh, we, we rant on social media, texts, phones, iPad, computer. I tell you, what I'm saying is it doesn't help produce patience. Are we clear about this? Because this is the culture in which we live. And that means it's part of what goes on in your life. We live in a one-click culture. Here's the problem. Matters of weight and worth don't work like that. Marriage, parenting, family life, relationships. They're not one-click matters. They are everyday life in which patience, perseverance, long-suffering is required. In fact, it's crucial. It's essential. You cannot do without it. Now, Tim Keller, who uh, leads the church, Redeemer Church in New York, is a very good author, and he highlights an article in Psychology Today. And it's, it, there's research that's been done on students in the States, United States, because of the increased need for treatment for anxiety, depression, addictions, anger. They just notice that the scale has gone sky high. And everybody needs this treatment. So they've done some research about it. And there's a big report about it. And part of it says that the students, that with the students, there was no psychic middle ground. I'll open this up in a minute. With the students, there was no psychic middle ground Mere frustrations catapults them into crisis. The point that they were making is that there was no middle ground between happiness and crisis. So they would be happy. And when they were happy, they were happy. <laughs> but suddenly something would come along and implode the happiness discouragement, upset, or whatever and it catapulted them into crisis. And there was no middle ground. They just went into crisis mode. That's what they're working at. See, and, and then the point was, no one lives in that middle ground anymore. Now, I think that's a generalization. But certainly amongst those students that he was doing the research, it seemed that no one lives in that middle ground anymore. You just go from unhappiness, you know, once your happiness has imploded, straight into crisis. Hence you have some people where constant crisis is the meaning of their life. You will have met them. Constant crisis. Their lives seem to go from one crisis to another, to another, to another. Because they're holding no middle ground in between. Not working things through. Do you know, if you want to have a persevering prayer life, you need to have a persevering everyday life. You've got to have it. You can't have one without the other. 
Otherwise your prayer life is going to be incredibly disappointing. It's got to work through the whole of your life. Keller calls this middle ground patience. Long suffering. Not having a meltdown. Not giving up. Not throwing the toys out of the pram. Sticking in there. Bit of grit. Our cultures are unhelpful in developing that middle ground of patience. And so James uses this illustration, and you got it in verse 7, about this farmer who sows seed. Do you know? And part of the sowing seed is waiting. So in this season that they have, and he's talking about their climate, they have two rains, one's in October and one's in spring. You need them both. But there's a time between. So you got the October rain, and you are so pleased to have the October rain. Because the ground, if you know out in the Middle East, the ground is, ah, it's just hard, brazen. I mean, you can't, it just needs, it needs a lot of rain to break up the ground. And then you need even more rain to soften the ground that the seed can go in the soil. You need the rain. Now, here's the point. There's a long way to go between October and March. So you look after the ground, you weed it and all the rest of it, but there's a long way to go. And they have to wait until March. Sometimes in that day, they would have to ration their food. They'd have to ration their food. And what they couldn't do, and the temptation was was to start harvesting what had, what had arrived through the seeds, start to harvest it before it was really ready. And you needed the second rain to come. And then the sun, and then it would flourish. And then you would have seed for another year. But if you took it too early, if you didn't wait, you were going to be in severe financial problems. So he's, they know it. You need to stick in there. You need patience. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It is grown. It's not a gift. It is grown. It's gracious and steady in the face of delay. I remember being on a trip uh, overseas with Ron when we had arrived at this airport. We'd arrived at this airport, we were at the end of our ministry trip, and I, 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 I just want to go home. I, I don't like being away from home, and, uh, but I'm there and done the stuff, I want to go home. I'm tired. And we get to this airport, and there is this humongous queue. I mean, it is huge. It's like it's coming out of the airport, rather than going in the airport. And it, I was just... And I, my heart dropped, like sinks. I think, oh, goodness. And I can see myself now. I'm fractious. I'm irritable. I'm walking up and down the queue thinking, there must be an easier route than this. I know you don't do this sort of thing. I know you don't do this. But I'm thinking, this can't be. I mean, if this is route one and the only route, there must be a second route. I'm looking for a shortcut. There must be a way through. And I, I'm doing this. And Ron, in the meantime... Has put on his earphones, tuned into someone like Coldplay or whatever, and he's 
He's chilled. He's chilled. Ron knows what's coming. And I don't. And in the end, Ron just calms me down. Otherwise, I was going to be doing that for four hours. Walking up and down there looking for I Where's that mushroom? You know, I, I could have been doing that for four hours. He chills me up. Cools me. I go, okay. And I find that middle ground. It's important, this middle ground of patience. If you are praying for patience, good for you. Uh, good for you. Uh, great. Uh, I, I just find there's enough going on in life. <laughs> I don't have to pray for extra. But if you're going to pray for extra, I mean, it's going to come. I want you to know that. It'll come. So, uh, there's, but there's enough going on. It, folks, patience is an inner peace. It's grown. You cannot do one-click relationships. They take time and they take graciousness. So verse 9 says, don't grumble against one another or you too will be judged. Grumbling, self-pity, irritability, complaining, (laughs) it's all marks of impatience. You know, this is what the Israelites did in in the wilderness. They murmured. I wonder if we can just say that word. Can we say all that? Can we just say it a couple of times? Murmur, murmur. Let's go again. Murmur. Yeah, it's exactly like that, you see. They murmured. It's all going on in the background. Proverbs says this, a, person, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offence. It is to one's glory to overlook an offence. We don't have to take the confrontational route every time. Every time we're offended, we don't have to do that. In fact, there are times we should not confront a person. Neither should we gossip about them either as my other way out. No. Honestly, if every person I have offended confronted me every time I sin against them in some way, I would be a very, very busy man. You are not allowed to say amen at this point. (laughs) You know, there are times... When the best course of action is to leave our offences between the offender and God. And leave it there. And don't leave it with anybody else either. Leave it with him. Patience, my friends, is a fruit. It's grown at times of adversity. It's the middle ground, you know, where we examine ourselves. It's this middle ground where we stop and reflect about our actions and the way we live and with other people. It's this middle ground that we discern our sensitivities and we all have them. It's an important place, this middle ground. It's this middle ground that we allow God to speak to us. And the next example is Job and the prophets. You know, have you, you know, consider the prophets. Hence, you get... I mean, read the prophets. Long-suffering? You better believe it. Isaiah has this stunning encounter with God. Isaiah 6, the year that Isaiah, uh, Uzziah died, which was the king at the time, I saw the Lord. It's this amazing encounter with God. And then he's, oh, it's so much, he comes apart, falls on his face in the presence of God. And then, 
And then at the, at the end of the encounter, the Lord says, Who shall I send? And who will go? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me, send me. And he gives him a message to which in the next 30 years, there is going to be no response. Who wants a ministry like that? Who wants a ministry like that where there's going to be no response? Jeremiah was considered a traitor. Hosea, Hosea marries a prostitute. God tells him to marry a prostitute who would run off with someone else again and again. And Hosea was to go back to her again and again and bring her back. It's a visual aid of perseverance. The perseverance of God for his people. Well, who wants that ministry? I don't see a lot of hands. Patience, long-suffering. Look at the prophets. They never stopped proclaiming the Lord. So James encourages us to pray. How is prayer developed? The instruction is to pray in all circumstances. So you can see the thread of prayer running right through the very life of this church. All circumstances here. Trouble, happy, sick, broken, downhearted. Bring it all to him. On your own, pray. Together, pray. One another, pray. And don't think you can't. Because he says Elijah was a man just like us. Well, I mean, yeah, he's a human being just like us. You want to look at Elijah's life. Boy, does he have some highs. I mean, he has some amazing highs. And boy, does he have some lows. He's a man just like us. All circumstances. Don't relegate prayer for emergencies only. If we only pray for big things, you're going to be infrequently grateful. If we pray and are thankful about all matters, whether big or small, we'll give ourselves the opportunity to be constantly grateful. And don't think for one minute, don't you dare think this, that your prayers don't matter. Let me read this to you. William Willimon tells a story. A man he knew went to Russia in the late 70s at the height of the Cold War. He was sent as part of a delegation from the World Council of Churches to investigate and report on the state of the Christian church under an atheist regime. The man was not impressed. The church, he told Willimon, dismissively, contemptuously, is just a bunch of old ladies praying. Willimon tells that story in the 90s when statues of Stalin and Lenin and patron saints of atheistic Russia lay toppled on the ground, ready to be crated for storage or quarried for stones. And he says, beware of old ladies praying. Your prayers matter. Hear that, your prayers matter. Moments after our first child, Hannah, was born, I remember holding her in my arms, and um, this is just, 
Well, this this child, she's beautiful, because she's ours, you do understand that. She's just beautiful, and uh, I'm... And my, I realized my life has changed forever. And, and I love her. I just love this thing, this little child. And she's done nothing for me, except cause my wife great pain. She's done nothing for me. And I love her. She's so dependent. We're so inadequate. I felt so inadequate. Do you know, all parents are amateurs. Beware of professional parents. Okay? Just beware of them. There's no such thing. We're, we're all out of our depths. <laughs> we're all out of our depths. And our prayer life, doesn't I, our prayer life changes. And there's pecking order now. And, then, and, and God is hearing different names. And we're petitioning and giving thanks and pleading for Hannah, for Matthew, for James. And the more they grew up, and the less dependent they were on us, believe me, the more insistent our prayers became. If you've not been there, you will be. And the more dependent we became on the Lord, or for them. Parents, time and time again, you know, you read this, and, and it's, it, it's full of parents bringing their children to God. This, this woman brings her son to Elijah, and... She falls at Elijah's feet and she's hanging on to his cloak and she needs wants her son healed. And then this, this nobleman in Capernaum comes to Jesus, cries, Lord, please come now before my boy dies. And his desperate father brings this demonized boy to Jesus, praying, please help me overcome my unbelief. It's full of parents praying, crying out to God. Let me tell you this. It never stops. It never stops. Doesn't matter how old they are, it never stops. I know some of you here. I know some of the pain you've been through. And you're still going. And you're still praying. It never stops. And sometimes the, the names get bigger because they marry. And then there are grandchildren. And, and so that's a bigger lot of people to pray for. But... You never stop. Don't, don't think your prayers don't matter. Don't do that. The hard part of it is, is that sometimes it seems as if things have to get worse before they get better. The instruction from James is, look, pray in all circumstances. Pray in all circumstances. Now, listen, God has given us a book of prayer. So you're going to think, well, what am I going to do when I've run out with the uh, 40 days is over? Look, if you've got no reading plan or whatever, 40 days, Psalms. Go through the Psalms. That'll give you 150 days. So just start the Psalms. Psalm 1, Psalm 2. Work your way through it. Don't go to a Psalm that that says, uh, this is exactly how I feel. No, just work through the Psalms. You will then see this whole plethora of emotions in the Psalms. They're born out of celebration and anguish hope and helplessness anger and forgiveness they offer us undiluted raw prayers go to the psalms in the psalms you they pour it out one third of them is lament the good the bad and the ugly it's all in the psalms the writers are not looking for marks out of ten for the most positive prayers they're not in there. 
If you're looking at that, not in that. It doesn't work like that. It's authentic. Psalm 10 goes like this. It goes, why, Lord? Why do you stand far off? Why do you do that? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Have you been there? I've been here. I've been in this place. Why do you do that? Why, why aren't you turning up? I, why, I'm fasting as well. Why aren't you turning up? And you work these prayers through. Psalm 88. I know you covered this, by the way, with Glenn Scrivener, so I'm not going to spend much time there. But boy, does he bring a case to God. If you didn't listen to that, you get that up on the podcast because you'll need to hear it. Because it's a psalm of lament. And he's, he's, you did this to me, and you did this to me, and you did this. He puts it out there. He puts it out there with God. He's not afraid to tell God how it is. Uncensored prayer. Do you know, if, is anyone in trouble? Pray. Pray. You put your pain out there and work it through with him. He'll meet you. He'll meet you. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is speaking of his thorn in the flesh. And he says, I plead, three times I pleaded. And you would sit here and go, is that all? Three times? Do you know how long I've been pleading, Paul? Ah, but God speaks to Paul. And God says to him, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Peter says his divine power has given us everything we need. You know, whether our prayers are answered or unanswered. Paul learns that God's sufficiency is enough. He prays in all circumstances. My friends, a number of years ago we went to two meetings. That was a big move. We thought that was a really big move. It was. Big move, big commitment, real stretch. Last year we went to two sites. So if we thought that was big, this was big. Two sites. That was a big move. We've been praying for a second site for two years. We've been praying and praying. We were in 2015, we were at the end of our uh, praying season, 40 days then in 2015. This was on the stocks all the time, praying for a second site, praying for a second site. Nothing, nothing, nada. We exhausted everything. We went all sorts of places, all sorts of places. I thought, in the end, we, just, we must be just so picky. But nothing was going to work, we could see it. And, I, and we said, I think we said at a members meeting to the church in September, we said, we've been here before, you know, because this took 10 years to come by. 10 years. Cul-de-sacs. I mean, the things we went to in this, this is a miracle having this building. They'll all tell you that, those. They don't know, some people don't know how it came about in the local authority. They just don't know how it happened. But it happened. So I said to the church about 2015, I said, we've been here before, you know. We had been to see all sorts of buildings and all sorts of places and we had exhausted every possibility. Bingo. Sits in that room in the art centre and goes, this would be a great place to meet. All happened. You have to wait, you know. Prayer takes a bit of waiting takes a bit of perseverance. Don't lose heart. Keep coming to your Heavenly Father. Pray in all circumstances. 
prayed his arms, looked to Jesus. I want you to look to Jesus. Because you know, it's for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross. He came for you. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you don't grow weary. He endured for you. Unanswered prayer, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus gets unanswered prayer. He understands that. On the cross, Father, Father, forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. He does it for you. And look at him now. In the New Testament, we realize that we, we, he's forever making intercession for us. He's never going to give up on you. Never going to give up on you. Lastly, William Carey. He's a missionary in the 1700s. And he is famous for his saying, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Here's a good saying, a heroic saying, inspiring and true. Not so well known was what he said to his father when he was a young man. When he announced to his family that God had called him to, a missionary, to be a missionary in India, his father did everything he could dissuade him from that venture, mainly by reminding Carey of all his weaknesses and handicaps. After this systematic dismantling of his self-esteem, Carey said quietly and firmly to his father, I can plod. I can plod. And plod he did. Expecting great things from God and attempting great things for God. So we pray with patient endurance and we pray for patient endurance. Amen.